0: Welcome to Art Matters. I'm Farron Gibson. This series is produced by Art UK, the online home of the UK's public art collections. Where can you find us, you ask? Our website is artuk.org, and you can find us on social media at artuk.org, spelling out the word dot. On this series, we like to explore the intersections between popular culture and art, and on this episode, we dabble in the magic of television. I've put on some civilized music today because we're discussing Rembrandt, Titian, and works by the old masters. The BBC's third series of Britain's Lost Masterpieces just finished, and it saw the hosts Dr. Bender Grosvenor and Emma DeBerry visit collections across the UK to see if they could uncover hidden gems in the nation's collections. What goes into producing a series like this? How do they go about selecting which masterpieces to investigate? I spoke with Bender to find out more one of the things that um strikes me as i watched the this, se- this last series is how you decide to work on which paintings. so could you talk a little bit about how you decide on what projects to go with
1: huh. well that's that's the hardest part of the whole production um <laughs> is deciding which ones to go for um because we have absolutely no you know no guarantee or no way of knowing before we start whether really the pictures have got um, a good chance of, of, of getting the nod, so to speak, from oh, our right. chosen experts. Um, mm. And, you know, we're not we're not really uh, like other programs where, um, you know, the, the jeopardy of whether the painting is or isn't by Rembrandt, for example, is the key part of the, the film. Um, so, uh, you know, I can't subject the views of the BBC to an hour of me being completely wrong. Um and also, you know, that would be a waste of uh, quite a lot of uh, license fee payers money. So um, <laughs> we have to think really hard about which pictures to, to go for. Um, but we don't get we get hardly any time and no, you know, no budget, no research budget or anything to to test the pictures before we we roll with it. And. Um, uh, so really, the, all I can do is just uh, scour through Art UK to try and find pictures that look interesting. Um, then, um, by hook or by crook, get a high-resolution photograph, and then I go and uh, I get I get one visit to go and see them, mm-hmm. um, which is not always in, in good ideal viewing circumstances. So, you know, I, I turn up to a gallery with the binoculars and a torch, have a look at the picture, um, and then talk to the producers, and then we're off. And then the next um, four or five months is is squeaky bum time.
0: <laughs> so to get, say, the three for this series, how many paintings might you have to look at just to get down to, okay, we have three solid options? Um, I don't know
1: what the rate of uh, searching through is, but I don't know. It's probably something like, you know, well, uh, well between 500 and 1,000 pictures I'll look at, you know, either online okay. or somewhere and then that'll get boiled down to one contender.
0: What are What are you looking for on in those initial visits to say? Okay, I, I have a, a fair degree of confidence that this is worth, you know, further investigation.
1: Well, you know all the sort of uh, the plus points of connoisseurship. and my little checklist, I call them the three C's. So I'm looking for things like changes. You know, is it uh, an original composition? Can you see any evidence of the artist fiddling around, changing their mind, which might mm-hmm. rule out the fact that it's a copy? I'm looking for a picture's condition uh, to see if um, you know uh, a painting's quality has been masked by old varnish and overpaint, and is that a reason why this, for example, Titian has been downgraded to circle Titian? Um, and then I'm looking for um, a quality. Now, that doesn't begin with C, but uh, in my mind, I make it, you know, like quick say We're
0: going with sounds yes, here. Yeah, the yeah. <laughs> um,
1: that's, that's the main one. Does it look like a work good enough to be by the artist who I think it might be? Um, and uh, then uh, all the other things come into consideration, like um, is it a big name artist? Is that artist got a good story? Has the place got a good story? Mm. um is there an interesting uh, tale behind the people who bought it and loved it uh, and all these things all these uh, little bars uh, boxes that we have to tick to make an interesting tv program um and although uh, thanks to our uk i've got access to whatever 220,000 pounds oh hang on 220,000 plus images in our public collection mm-hmm. um there's not many that satisfy the criteria for a an interesting hour of tv so it's hard work
0: well, there's only so many rembrandts and titians you can uncover isn't it <laughs> within you know the uk collection uh
1: yeah um, yeah um, um yeah. Uh, by some miracle we've uh you know we've had some really good stories and, and good yeah. artists so the, the bar has been set quite high and very often i will say to the producers oh i love this painting by charles jervis um and they'll go who Uh, And of course, quite rightly, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, as much as I want to tell people about Charles Jervis, who was an an early 18th century uh, English painter of, you know, some skill. um, There's a limit as to how many uh, people I can make sit through an hour of uh, Charles Jervis TV.
0: Yeah. Well, I I didn't personally know much about Zoffany before that episode. So that was interesting. And then he turned out to be, you know, quite an interesting character. Um, So, you know, there's maybe that's what you were saying in terms of, is the artist interesting enough? Um, or maybe maybe I'm just really behind and I should have known about Zoffany.
1: Well, shame on you for not knowing. <laughs> shame
0: on me. I'm sorry about it. <laughs> no,
1: not many people do know about Zoffany, but uh, he's one of those fascinating characters, and he's been uh, he's been slightly forgotten by art I mean, his paintings, in a way, are not as interesting as his own story. Although once you get to grips with his paintings and know how to read them, then of course they become usually very interesting. So he's he's a perfect artist for for uh, tv and it's um it was our good luck actually that no one's really done him before um, yeah i'd love to make a, i'd love to make an even longer film about him i mean we did we we didn't touch on his time in india which is absolutely fascinating
0: throughout the series we hear different terms around how paintings can be attributed is a painting by an artist or is it attributed to the artist it may seem like a minor difference but bender explains the hierarchy
1: well, in the attributional ladder, you've got at the top, you've got the artist's name. And if you say Titian, then that means you're fairly certain it's by Titian. Underneath that, you've got attributed to, which means you're sort of 80 90% there. Um, but there may be uh, criteria you haven't been able to satisfy. Like, for example, with the painting at Petworth, which we did this series of a, of a young cardinal. You know, in that case, stylistically, I think we've satisfied everyone that the, the head was definitely by Titian. But you've got to be cautious because... Uh in that case, we didn't find any early provenance for the painting before, about the 1820s. So there's a huge gap there between the 1820s and when Titian painted it in about 1550. Uh, and nor had we pinned down the sitter. So, you know, there was significant doubt there. Uh, and I'm always very happy to have that doubt. I think we should be more relaxed in our history about things like attributed to. Anyway, underneath that, then you've got a uh, studio of Titian. So is it painted by someone... Using Titian's paints and styles in his workshop, because of course these artists had huge art factories and mm. churned the pictures out, uh, but not necessarily painted by the man himself. Uh, and then beyond uh, beneath that, you've got uh, just you know either uh, copies, so it's going to be after Titian. We've got someone painting a bit like him, but not really in his workshop or not connected to him. So that's a circle of Titian. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the really the lowest of the low is manner of Titian, and that means. Uh, someone painting like Titian, but a long time after he died. So, you know, an imitator or a faker or something like that.
0: So let's say um, something was done in Titian's studio and maybe he came over and did a bit of the face, but maybe his students did the rest. What did, what would something like that be, you know, qualified as?
1: Well, you probably say attributed to Titian if he had some significant involvement in it. I mean, probably, uh, you know, in fact, almost certainly in his lifetime, that, would have been, so that kind of painting would have been sold as a Titian. Uh, and we have to accept these days that for most paintings by these big-name artists, especially Titian and especially Rubens, um, you know, th- there's always an element of studio participation because that's just how they worked. But these mm-hmm. days, uh, you know, successful artists are no different. In fact, it's gone the other way. Someone like Jeff Koons uh, just dreams up Uh, or claims to dream up some idea, and then uh, a whole bunch of other people entirely make it. But we still call that artwork the results of Jeff Koons, although really, if we were judging it by the criteria we use to judge old masters, we would call it Studio of Jeff Koons.
0: Many times in the series, the investigation begins with some cleaning and restoration at Simon Gillespie's studio. Bender explained to me why this is a key part of the process for any good art sleuth.
1: Being able to assess condition—if I've got any skills in, in, in art sleuthing—it's uh, being able to uh, assess condition, really, because that uh, is the number one reason why paintings, I think, lose their attribution. Um, it's so easy for, for example, varnish um, is an organic substance and, and goes off like milk. You know, goes, uh, after about forty or fifty years, it begins to turn yellow, mm. and it's amazing how even a subtle change in the colours of the underlying picture brought about by that film of yellow sitting on top of the original paint layer. It's amazing how easy that can fool your eye. And so a lot of reasons pictures get downgraded is because we just can't judge them as they were originally intended because they've got varnished dirt, overpaint, all sorts of things uh, why, covering Why do they get
0: varnished? Original. Oh, well, you know,
1: people... Artists, artists have always been varnishing their pictures. Okay. Um, but it's just that uh, usually uh, the varnish, as I say... Um, it goes funny. Uh, mm-hmm. Or through neglect and damp, it'll go opaque and you can't see through it. So, so uh, someone like me has to have the ability to have kind of X-ray specs and to be able to look at a picture, strip away mentally all the condition issues and then try and judge the quality of the paint layer underneath.
0: You said X-ray. That made me think. Um, I was looking at um, how you've you took X-rays of, for example, the Rembrandt paintings and I saw what I was seeing, but I didn't know what I was looking at. And I'm wondering kind of what do these, what are these x-rays really revealing? You're seeing the layers of paint?
1: Yeah, you're seeing, uh, hopefully you want to see nice evidence of changes and different compositions underneath and that, and that would help you argue that it's not a copy. Uh, you're mm-hmm. also, for someone like Rembrandt, you're also looking at whether it's, he had this idiosyncratic way of painting back to front, so to speak. So. Uh, he would do the, the background of a painting first and then leave an area called a reserve mm-hmm. uh, and then do the head. And so you're looking for evidence of that sort of thing. Um, that said, I've got to say, we've got a, a bit of a problem in art history at the moment. And, and um, the art world is that it's, it's so easy, and a lot of people do this, to over-interpret an X-ray and to think you can see things that you can't really. Um, mm. And sometimes a lot of art historians get more excited by X-rays and think they can see more in an x-ray than they can actually by judging the, the paint surface on top. So I think it's because it's new, newish, and, you know, a sciencey thing, and people think that, therefore, anything to do with science is kind of binary. It's either yes mm-hmm. or no. But actually, uh, interpreting an x-ray is just as subjective often as interpreting uh, the quality, for example, of, of the paint on top.
0: I I finished that episode on Rembrandt feeling fairly convinced that it was a Rembrandt I mean uh, you, to me you laid the case out pretty well um, but uh, the, the expert um, is he um, I'm sorry I can't recall his name Ernst um, van der Betering yes yes is he the kind of final word on this sort of thing uh, when it comes to Rembrandt's
1: um, I think he is yeah and, and quite rightly so because um, in my opinion he's a he's a truly a great man um, and he's been studying Rembrandt for for decades um Mm. now i might have you know honest and and simple disagreements with him about how we believe rembrandt painted but that's that's you know purely an academic matter and at the end of the day we have this system whereby um people are judged to be the the leading experts in their field and in, in Britain's lost masterpiece, for example, and in, in most of the art world, if we, you know, we live by the expert at the end of the program, and therefore, according to the inexorable rule of fate, we must also die thereby. So, um, yeah. I know some people were frustrated at the end of that film, um, but that's just the way the system works, and I don't think uh, I don't think we can do much about that.
0: Well, I felt a bit like it felt a bit like. Um truly solving a mystery like um it, it, the the tension was building throughout that episode and i was like is it is it a remember it was it was coming together in a way that like i felt really you know the momentum of that of that project it must be quite intense um to to do these things sometimes uh
1: it is it's the, it was the um i know we always say this in tv but it was actually the biggest challenge of the lot that program because with rembrandt the bigger the name of the artist uh the higher the bar is Mm. set in order to get a painting attributed to that artist, and quite rightly. Uh, And with Rembrandt, it is fiendishly difficult, not least because um, Rembrandt's scholarship over the last 50 years or so has come to this, I think, too exclusive uh, view of what he painted. And so I think the oeuvre at the moment for Rembrandt is about 350 works. So that equates to something like between six or eight Paintings a year of his life, and I think mm-hmm. that's too few. Now, but anyway, um, uh, for example, Van Dyck, by comparison, who lived twenty years uh, less than Rembrandt, painted seven hundred and fifty paintings. Um, but nonetheless, um, uh, the the really, for me, frankly, terrifying thing about that program was that I was uh, taking um, a picture which had been soundly trashed as just a random later copy of a Rembrandt Mm -hmm. and trying to argue that it was by the man himself uh, for the, you know, the artist who is most difficult to get through. And, and it was, it was quite nerve wracking. And genuinely, I had no idea that the science, um, would come so in our favor. And so Mm -hmm. it was, I was completely relieved and delighted to be actually, to be able to prove that it was, um, done in his, at least in his techniques, in his workshop.
0: Were you, were you actually a bit surprised? Like, oh,
1: (laughs) Well, um, uh, I don't know. I was probably a little bit surprised, but you've, you know, you've, uh, you can only be, you can only do this uh, kind of thing if you if you believe in your initial gut instinct, and, and very often it can be wrong. But occasionally, it can be right. Um, so it, it all, I mean, it was a proper sort of. We filmed it as a proper you know, live investigation. We had no idea any of these things would would come out, um, and it and it sort of worked. And that was that's the magic of TV, actually. Uh, is being able to present these things as they happen in an engaging way.
0: In speaking with a lot of young people with an interest in art, one of the common questions I get is around the types of jobs available in the field. One of the interesting things about Britain's Lost Masterpieces is that it shows some of the science and problem-solving that can go into art historical research. Binder spoke with me about how this type of research fits into wider art history and why it's so impactful.
1: It is a sad fact that uh, for a long time, academic art history has looked down its nose at this kind of end of art history. This kind of scratching around and trying to figure out who painted what, when, and how. Mm. Uh, and um, I've always been a, a champion of, of good old-fashioned connoisseurship. And the reason, one of the reasons I do this program is to try and show to people that it's not this sort of mystical, elitist, strange practice, but something that you can uh, demonstrate clearly. Uh, how it works and and why it works. Um, And the other reason I do it is because it's actually a fantastically useful way of getting people engaged in art history. Um, Art history has a little bit of a problem, I think, in that sometimes our public perception is is that we're trying to look at paintings uh, painted three, four, five hundred years ago as if there are complex riddles within them that only we can solve centuries after the artist painted them. And they're to do with, you know, all sorts of uh, theological, philosophical uh, constructs. Uh, And very often, I'm afraid it's all rubbish. Um, (laughs) But, uh, you know, if you can show to people, uh, sometimes by the magic television, you know, why a painting is, is beautiful and well painted and explain how and why, then I think that's a great way of getting people engaged in art history.
0: When you have the opportunity to go behind the scenes of collections as this series does, there must be a lot of high moments. It's not every day that a researcher gets to uncover works from the studios of some of the greatest painters in history. Now that the series has come to a close, I had one last question. What are some of your highlights from your research over these three um, episodes and some kind of high moments for you?
1: Mm, Well, they've all, they're all a great privilege to make and, uh, the most satisfying thing as an evangelist for Old Masters is showing to large audiences um, just how interesting the lives of these painters were, and how skilled they were, and uh, that they should, we all, uh, because we're only dealing with publicly owned pictures, that everybody mm-hmm. watching has the opportunity to go and look at them immediately after the programme is broadcast, and to go on to websites like Art UK and find other examples. So that's that's the reason I like to do it is because um, I'm I'm a frustrated evangelist. Um, <laughs> in terms of particular highlights, well, it's always it's always a huge relief to get the expert to you know at least see that we were vaguely in the right ballpark, um, and we do we always do that in Simon Gillespie's studio in London. Um, yes. And I really, for the, for months beforehand, I'm you know, I sort of have sleepless nights about it until it's resolved. And then uh, I have a special routine now after the, uh, we've done three series of this. Um, around the corner from Simon's Studios is an Ed's Diner at the top of Bond Street. And they mm-hmm. do very good chocolate milkshakes. And when we get the thumbs up, I nip out and I get myself a chocolate milkshake.
0: That's a very good uh, way to treat yourself, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Though if you start having too many successes, I think it's going to be a little bit too much sugar, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, do you think there'll be an, a series four or it's hard to say now?
1: I don't know. I hope so. Mm-hmm. It would be nice. Although mm-hmm. every time I make a program, I think I'm never doing this again because I could do it without stress. Uh, yeah. but, but, you know, people mercifully seem to like the program and uh, we get good audiences. Uh, so we'll see See what the BBC say. Mm-hmm.
0: If you found this conversation interesting and didn't catch Britain's Lost Masterpieces on BBC 4, you can watch it for a brief period on the BBC iPlayer. I also encourage you to head over to the Art UK website at artuk.org, where you can browse over 200,000 works in the nation's public collections, and even do your own mystery solving on our art detective platform. As always, thank you for listening, and please join us next time.